Um, so, like, what do you think about Claudia Conway? Is that Kellyanne Conway's daughter on TikTok? Yeah, Isn't she on Kellyanne, TikTok? She's on TikTok. Oh, yeah. She's on Twitter. She's on, she's Kellyanne Conway and George Conway's daughter, and she's just like trolling Poor her thing. parents. Um, uh, like, yeah, yes, I did hear about this, but I don't know much about her. Well, yesterday she like posted that she's like moving for emancipation. She's like, I'm done because she's like, I'm super liberal, and my parents are like, um, like she's like devastated that my mother is actually speaking at the RNC. And I don't know how to feel because on the one hand, you know, great that like there's a little bit of like opposition within that house because that house like also just seems there's a lot of feelings. It seems like that house in Get Out, like. (laughs) Also, (laughs) that's true. But also like, she's also like a 15 year old girl. Like, I don't know if she should be using social media as an outlet here because she can like be manipulated and, and she's also manipulating us a little bit because we're giving her all this attention because she's Kellyanne's daughter and she's like defying her and like saying she hates Trump. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. It's complicated, right? Because like social media is like the platform she has available to her as a 15 year old. Um, And I think that like, because I I actually do think about this a lot of like people who are speaking at the RNC, like if you are of like in Steve Bannon's like crony crew, like any of these like horrifying people, what their kids and their grandkids feel. Because like, I guarantee a lot of those kids and grandkids are much more liberal than their parents. And like, how, yeah, how they're going to feel, I don't know. I just, I think that there is, I can't speak to whether or not it's right or wrong. It is cathartic to like, (laughs) it is cathartic to watch Kellyanne Conway's daughter rebel against her. Like, I mean, it was cathartic to watch George Conway, her husband, rebel against her as well, because he's also like, he's always like subtweeting Trump and stuff. I just like, family dinner must be so awkward. I know that sounds real stressful yeah but like yeah I'm with you I think like someone needs to push back um and if it's coming from her household and I mean it's one of those things I was like is this worth it like all these people are gonna end up on the wrong side of history your kids are gonna hate you like is this is this worth it like I don't I don't understand um clearly it is (laughs) for the money and fame alone that that's gonna run out like it's gonna it? like it's gonna it's gonna go away like it's it, I think there is maybe like depending on the amount of money we're talking about like you probably will then like have enough to be set for a while obviously become a like, lobbyist nice. become a lobbyist hate lobbyists um <laughs> as a principal all of them <laughs> wait there was a 30 rock joke do you remember at the in the end when um is it like the end of season two where end, no, um, the end of, like at the end of the series when uh cooter comes back oh yeah cooter <laughs> cooter matthew broderick matthew broderick <laughs> comes back and uh meets jack donaghy again and he's like yeah you know after the bush administration i became a lobbyist for a while i used to hang out in hotel lobbies um and <laughs> pretend to be a <laughs> valet <laughs> So I could drive people's cars. <laughs> no, so that show good. is so good. Okay, I'm glad that I'm watching the entire show now because I'm. Just but I also can't. Joke. I'm like on the seventh. Like I'm on the seventh season, and I could just like finish it. But then it's like low key real triggering because um, it's like the Tracy. Like they're trying to get Tracy Jordan to like do a black for Romney. Oh my gosh! Campaign. And then it ends up being like black people don't vote, just don't yeah. do it. Yeah, and I was like, this is too real. This is too real. Oh my gosh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's that just like true, getting a little too close of like to how home. what Republicans think of the black vote. Yeah, it's like just don't vote. So that was like just the first. Don't do it. It was one of the early signals that we should keep an eye out on voter suppression. Was Thirty Rock? It was Thirty Rock, not like years and years of like voter Ahead suppression, voting rights act. No, this is how the kids learn about voter suppression from Thirty Rock. So this is why I'm like, listen, if Kellyanne Conway's daughter wants to get on TikTok and like rail against her parents. Like one thing I am genuinely curious to see is if, how the numbers play out in terms of like the the youth vote, which is like a phrase I really hate. Cause I'm like, what does that even mean? What but like, youth? there's like millions of people who have become eligible to vote since the last election and they're all on TikTok. And like, I am very curious to see if like people like, uh, what's her name? Corinne, Courtney? Claudia, Conway. Claudia, <laughs> Corinne, <laughs> Courtney, something, Kim, Chloe. We are really excited today and it's kind of a funny story because we're going to be talking about Blackest King, uh, one of our favorite movies of 2020. And today in the studio we have with us Damilala Animashaun, who is the head bitch in charge at Native Mag, uh, which is a magazine that's focused on like music and culture in Africa and especially in Nigeria. Hi Damilala, how are you? Hi, Aisha. I'm Marianne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you guys. We're excited to have you here. Um, Thank you for being here. Well, before we get started, we just want to like give the summary of Black is King uh, so that we know, you know what we're talking about. So Black is King is a movie that came out on Disney Plus about a month ago. Uh, in the movie, a young African king is cast out from his family into an unforgiving world. He subsequently undergoes a journey through betrayal, love, and self-identity to reclaim his throne, using the guidance of his ancestors and childhood love. And the story is told through the voices of present-day Black artists, and it was created, produced, directed, co-written by the one and only Beyonce. <laughs> and um, what were you going to uh, say, Miriam? Aisha, what is the, so what is the connection to Lion King, The Gift, Black is King? Like, there's a whole relationship there. I don't know if you can quickly Talk speak about to it. that too. Yeah. Well, like Beyonce was in the Lion King live action movie yeah. that came out in 2019. She played Nala. And when the movie came out, uh, she dropped an album, The Gift. It was a surprise album. And it had all these amazing African artists on it, like Burna Boy, Wizkid, you know, people that we, that, that we as Nigerians, Damilala, like we know very well, but like maybe a lot of people uh, mm -hmm. in other countries don't know as well. And then a year later in 2020, she surprises us again with a full movie that's based on The Lion King, but is telling the story of The Lion King like with the songs from the Gift album and also using like African motifs, like setting the story in Africa and also like bringing in parts of African culture as well. And we've been talking about Afrofuturism in, um, in this podcast in our previous episodes. And uh, one thing about Black is King is that it's an example of an Afrofuturist piece of work. 
So Damilala, I'm so happy that you could be here because you know so much about the African music scene and I really, really want like all of your insight. So my first question for you, what was your favorite part of the film? Um, I think my favorite part, like my favorite video in the mm -hmm. film was definitely Mood Forever. I just, like it was so beautiful. There were so many like different colors. I really enjoyed Mood Forever. So I think that was my favorite video. I think my favorite part of the film in general was I really, really enjoyed seeing Lagos. Like that was really nice. It was very like just seeing like things are down the road from me, seeing NYC uniform, the fan, <laughs> like the guy selling fan lolly. Like it was just like, oh, this is like representing me. <laughs> um, so that was nice. For me, for sure, when uh, Keys to the Kingdom came up and there's someone wearing the NYSC uniform, I like watched yeah. the movie with Miriam and I was trying to explain the significance of the NYSC uniform. I'm like, you don't understand how random and how perfect it is that it's in this movie. <laughs> and like the judges with their wigs, because um, you know, like Nigerian lawyers, they have to have that, those wigs, even though like English lawyers yeah. don't really use them anymore, who we still do. Um, yeah, that was, that was a really fun part of the film. What about you, Miriam? I think for me, um, I generally really enjoyed the, it felt a lot more nuanced and I felt like I was getting a lot of different types of uh, visuals and a lot of different types of uh, kind of themes. It didn't feel as uh, monolithic, I think, as an experience. And I think that generally was really fun to experience. Um, I think that was also my favorite song. Um, where it's just like the lusciousness of this mansion of everyone, like the, I mean, she just looked like she was living her best life. And I think that um, also watching Blue Ivy make an appearance throughout, uh, she- Future <laughs> Oscar winner, Blue Ivy. Yeah, truly. I think that she uh, is just uh, also very much enjoying herself. So I do think that, um, yeah, I think I appreciated very much. There's like so much context that I don't have. Like you said, Aisha, we watched it together and you were very helpful in kind of walking all of us through certain elements of it. Well, certainly you couldn't have like spoken to all of it, but I did enjoy the experience of watching it with you because of how excited you were by the movie and how much it personally meant to you. And I think watching you watch it even for like the third time or whatever it was, um, you were so engaged and just, uh, I think I could see that personal connection so deeply there. So not only was it aesthetically really stunning, but I think that you, your reaction was like a huge part of like why I enjoyed it. Yeah, like Damila, did you feel that way when you were watching it and watching like other Africans watch it? Yeah, because we had like it showed it actually showed on DSTV um, the next day, so mm -hmm. I'd watched it on Disney, and then I think like everyone was watching it at the same time the next day on DSTV, and so it was really nice. Like, you know how like when we're watching, say I don't know, like it was like we were like live tweeting as we were watching Black um, is King, so that was like it was like everybody was having the same reactions to like as we were seeing things happen. And like, so for instance, when Keys to the Kingdom came, it was like, oh my God, the stadium, oh my God, Fan Lolly. Like everybody had the same like reaction. So that was really nice. Also, I think at the end, just seeing like in the credits, seeing names of people who we know and like work with, like someone like Daniel Obasi, I don't know him personally, but he's like, he's very like, he, like I've worked with him in the past. I've written about him. Someone like Daphne Ogoro, mm -hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Just seeing names of people you recognize and see around, that was like amazing. Literally, like my um, 
someone who's actually really, really close to my family, Leke Arabi Isama, he was he worked on it. So seeing like literally just seeing names of people that I know personally, I've seen around was also fantastic. It was just really great. I mean, so you work a lot with like musicians and like the critic industry, like uh, with music. Did you, because I know a lot of people felt when the gift came out last year, they felt that like, oh, like these artists, these African artists are good on their own. Why do they need Beyonce to give her like a stamp of approval? Like enjoying them in Africa and in the diaspora. Like why do we need Beyonce's, why do they need to be on Beyonce's album? Why does Berna need, it's almost like he's actually kind of going below him his uh, standing to be on a Beyonce album. Like, do you agree with that? What do you think about her involving all these different artists? Um, I think like, obviously, cause I remember last year when like, when the track list came out, it was like, oh my God, Wizkid, Butter Boy, Tio Savage, Mr. Easy, like all these people on a Beyonce album. It was like, it was crazy, like at the time, but like thinking about it critically and like actually like analyzing what it stands for especially given like the things she said she said that um she said in the documentary that they like we created this genre and it's like no you didn't like (laughs) this exists already we've been making this music so um i think in light of that it could it would have been nice to see people who were not as established like it, it felt like there wasn't really any like they just came and like took all the people who were already visible and it's like okay we know who these who this person is making music Whereas I would have loved to see like a Thames or a Lady Donnelly or a Sans, like someone who's like actually like up and coming, who has like, I also feel like um, it wasn't the sound, they're, they're not that like independent of each other. So like um, uh, Wizkid on Brown Skin Girl, he could have been on the Tiwa Savage song as well. Like yeah. it's very, it was very, I just felt like it was a, it was just these, these obvious choices, and I would have liked to see like more people or different different sets of people. Um, but that being said, songs were mad, like songs were fire. I loved all, like I still like all of the songs. Like it was still like a great choice. Like she, like I don't think that they were wrong choices. I would have just liked to see other people getting a platform for once. Could you, you know, give us some names maybe of people that you think, I know you mentioned Lady Donnelly and Thames, but do you have any other people that you think like, oh, if you like The Gift and Black as King, like you should go and listen to these artists? Um, well, I think just because the soundscape is so like, it's just every, like, I don't think any two people really make the same kind of music. So I think it's just a case of like, whose music is good, like who's making like, Good music. So yeah, obviously I said Thames, Lady Donnelly, um, Santi is really good. Um, there's this girl who I've been listening to. Her name is Olainka Ehi. She just got featured on Adekunle Gold's album. I was gonna say we should put together a playlist um, because a lot of my African artists that I listen to are the more mainstream ones. Um, like I was listening to the new Burna Boy album yesterday, and in fact, like I know a lot of like Indians um, who listen to Burna Boy. So like, to your point, Aisha, he has a, like, a lot of these artists already have a huge platform. Um, and your point, Tami Lola, like, uh, does Burna Boy need the exposure? Probably not as much. Um, although I'm sure he's, there's still a lot of people who don't know who he is, but it's just interesting to think even my Indian friends um, listen mm-hmm. to his music, which is really cool. Um, 
But one question I also had for you, so you mentioned like there all these artists do have very, very different sounds and obviously come from different parts of Africa. Um, as someone who is not as familiar, mm -hmm. I don't know if you can speak to how much do kind of traditional elements play into the different regional artist style? Like what kind of informs, like when you listen, especially as an industry expert, can you listen and know if someone is East African, West African, South African? Um, and I don't know if you can speak to that a little bit, just because with I think when I think of Indian music, we are so far behind in that sense. Like we don't have a Burna Boy. Um, we are still like all listening just to right. more mainstream, like Bollywood music. Um, and there's like some artists who have popped up, but they're very like poppy and not, it's not a lot of depth to their music. Um, so I'm really fascinated by how African yeah. music has evolved. And yeah, if you can talk to some of the regional differences and traditional elements that work their way in. Um, I think like, well, more recently, well, I feel like for me, it was kind of the same thing until about 2000 and maybe 12 or 13. I wasn't listening to Nigerian music at all. Like I just didn't listen to Nigerian music. I only listened to like, like Hollywood, like music from America or England. Or like I just didn't, we just, I didn't know Nigerian music. There wasn't really any, you hear it on the radio sometimes, but it just wasn't like my kind of music. So I just never listened. Whereas like at the beginning of the last decade, it started like this, like people started making more like, just different sounds like it wasn't the same thing all the like all, like with all of the same artists all the time so um like so we had like the whiz kids the davidos like the people who are now like um the more mainstream artists were then coming up and they were making kind of music that we liked and we related to and so it just became more and more popular um and so as a result of that i didn't even know any music outside of nigerian music like i didn't really listen to like i knew some Ghanaian songs there were some like, do you um, actually do you remember this song called Corner? Yes. Corner, yeah. yeah. Like we knew like like those like the ones that were like really popular from like where like that was in South Africa, but like it, it had to be like the really really popular song for us to hear it in. Um, yeah. In and you also you know a lot of South African music was also like South African house, so it wasn't even yeah. my genre of music yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But even thinking about like. The other day, I was looking at a video like, you remember Waka Waka by Shakira? Oh, yeah. Can, you, can yeah. you imagine staging the World Cup in an African country today and having a non African make like the official song? It yeah. just wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. like, it, it, like, people would rise up in arms because there's so many who have grown in the past decade because of like this um, in, like, increased interest and like diversification of the industry. Yeah. You also have like, I know Berna's album, his most recent one, you know, was produced by P. Diddy. And I know there was a time when like Akon tried to get involved with P Square and then Kanye West tried to get involved with yeah. DeBange. Like that was kind of how people were trying to get this music mm -hmm. outside of Nigeria. Well, cause I live, I, I went to school in England. So I, I remember at that time it was very like, like I remember I'd walk into say like a Selfridges and I'm hearing Duvan, like I'm hearing them playing all of us and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like Duvans is like out of here. But then that didn't really amount to anything. Like that happened and then it like that was it. Like it wasn't like it that was just it. Like we just had this really popular song and then it went. Like it didn't go, I guess. All of us just does what it was um <laughs> it was made to do, yeah. I felt like it didn't really change the like scope of music. Um or well, not music, but like it didn't do anything for artists back home. 
especially Devange because well, like I mean, look at him now. So yeah, uh, Devange Miriam uh, was a successful, well, is a successful Nigerian artist and kind of was one of our first like blockbuster musicians and has a lot of really fun songs. But then recently, you know, has been accused of sexual um, assault and mm -hmm. has like been adamantly denying it, even though all the all like the stories out there the victim is being very clear about what happened she filed a police report he's like sicked the police on her and like the state is working Love against her right now yeah. and of course there's a lot of people being like why was she in that hotel room what was she wearing you know yeah. that oh, conversation it's, it's hit that, phase, that phase of the of processing the that's yeah. great so um. <laughs> um, so that's why with demand for kind of like uh well, you're in our past now, and um, he hasn't really had a successful song recently, so it's okay. So, but yeah. so you did mention that, like, so around that uh, 2011, 2012 is when you started listening. So, what did the music itself change? Like, what what was happening in like Nigerian music? I guess to start, since that was maybe where you were first exposed. Like, what was happening that made you kind of sit up and pay attention more? Like, did the industry itself change? Like, did you just get more exposed to it as you grew up? Like. How did that become more mainstream, at least in your life? I think what it was was that younger people were starting to make music. So like people who are closer to my age and like my kind of like experiences in life were making um, music that I could not even particularly relate to, but I just liked. Like, I, like Nigerian music from, I'd say, the 90s, it was very like, they're speaking a lot of like, like it was very had a very particular sound that I just didn't find appealing, um, and like it had like because of the way the industry sets up, it, it's still kind of like that. You have to kind of like it's very like hit singles driven, so you have to be like, well, I guess in the past you had to be like looking to score a hit single, a hit song, like a song that's going to pull a crowd um, at the concert, at the wedding, radio, like over and over again. So it was a lot of this same kind of music and I just like it just wasn't appealing to me at least but then like around 2010 I'd say even 2009 with like people like Wandy Cole um just making like they just kind of diversified the soundscape and it was just not it, it, like, it like for instance I was listening to Nigerian rap which before I just wasn't interested in like I just I just didn't care about like what they were saying but then you had people like me to see you had MI like you had like just a different kind like different people were coming up and they were making better music that was then appealing to me and other people like me to listen to um, and I think after that like it just it, it just evolved so between 2011 and then 2013 with, like Wizkid had taken off and then it was then like there were more Wizkids essentially like there were more people who were younger making better music and it's just become better and better over the years and now it's just like I think right now what's happening is the soundscape has just like it's just so vast and people are just coming in and making the kind of music they want to make as opposed to what they think will take off and what will like you know score them a hit single and if it bangs it bangs if it doesn't you find people who want to listen to you anyway I, I mean I would say also <laughs> something that has helped like widen the audience for a lot of this music is like good music criticism as well which is where Native Bank comes into play because I know you publish 
you publish multiple times a week and it's always like interesting reviews and talking about what's happening in culture so would you you know yeah. i'm gonna make you like talk yourself up a little bit here but would you say that like the work you're doing at native mag is also helping people find um all these different songs and all these different artists um we always say that we're the pulse of the african millennial so like we're literally like we are like the whole team we're always looking for new music like who like we're literally always just looking for new things to listen to from all over the continent and like our main mission is to bridge the underground with the mainstream so in the same breath we're talking about burner boy we're going to be talking about some 15 year old artist from i don't know like a village in in kenya who is making good music as well like it is not about it's just like all we care about is whether the music is good or not and we're constantly looking for good music and I think that's like that's our mission I think it's really important um it's a really important like stance to take just because of the way I think I don't even think I think it's like a Nigerian thing in general people only want to talk about things that are popping like things that are like that will bring them in something whereas we want you like we want everyone to hear the, like good music we want to like we want you to hear what we're listening to we want you to know who to listen to we want to like puts everyone onto the same platform and like make sure that good music is being heard. I mean, that's a really great like um, idea and a really great um, goal. Do you think, mm. so with COVID and everyone, you know, being at home or at least pretending to be at home, um, <laughs> how do you think that will affect like the sales of like African music? Because I know a lot of it you know, it, like Burna Boy and Wizkid, they don't get their money from streaming because everyone in Lagos or in, in West Africa is like downloading it illegally. But like <laughs> a lot of their money is from like concerts and, you know, being invited mm -hmm. to someone's wedding and, you know, yeah. getting paid for that. So how do you think, do you think that's going to change? Are people, are people producing less music or maybe they're trying to wait a little bit so that like people can be outside to listen to their music? What do you think? Um, I feel like the Wiz Kids and the Burner Boys, like the bigger artists are good. Like they're not like obviously there'll be a strain, but like like Burner Boy signed to Atlantic, for instance, he has like record label backing, so like mm. he's he's not in the same situation like uh, a Lady Donnie, who's an independent artist who can't perform. Um, people don't stream music, so I feel like there should be more like importance placed on like younger independent artists who are the ones who are really struggling through um, this pandemic. I feel like we don't know. Like we literally have no idea whether like what the effects are like, and it's just going to have to be a case where we like when everybody has kind of adapted to what's going on, we'll find out. But it's I think everybody's just kind of scrambling. Like literally everyone's just scrambling and it's like, okay, I'm gonna put out new music and let's hope people will stream it. I'm gonna just put it like because there are like we have got a lot of good music. We've had to kind of change our editorial um strategy a lot this pandemic because there's just so many things happening at the same time that we can't keep up with, <laughs> you know, 10 songs being released on the same day. So we have to kind of, we've had to like change the way we're reporting songs to just make sure that we're giving everybody the attention. So there is there is music coming out and people are like creating. It's just a function of how can they then, you know, live off this art and like um, make a living. And that's where like, I, don't, I don't think anyone has the answer to that right now. <laughs> no, I don't know how. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think we'll, have, we'll just have to see. 
So one question I also had was, obviously here we've been talking a lot about West African artists and in Black is King, kind of tying it back to that. As far as I understand, there aren't as many East African artists represented. Um, Do you have a theory on why, or I don't know if you can speak to why it has the, it kind of has fallen that way where there is just more pop stars coming out of West Africa um, and there's a lot more kind of visibility there and why there isn't as many visible East African artists. Do you have a theory on, on how that's happened or why that's happened or how we can give East African artists more visibility? Um, I think in terms of like just music in general, like I, for instance, I wouldn't listen to a song where I don't know what they're saying. Like I don't understand what what's being right. said. Like it can be, I could listen to say a house, a house, um, or I'm a piano song where like the words aren't what I'm listening to. I'm listening. I'm listening to the actual music, like the beats, like more like right. the rhythm. Not listening to the song. So I think that one advantage we have in Nigeria is that most of our songs are in English, and it's easier for everyone mm. everywhere in the world to kind of understand and like listen to. Um, I don't know that this is what the reason is, but I just know that I'm unlikely to listen to a song that's not in English. So that could be the case because a lot of the music I hear from outside of Nigeria isn't in English. And Um, there's also so many of us, like we're the most populous country. And so there's also like, like the audience is just so much wider for a Nigerian song. Even if it's in a Nigerian language, like there's so many non-Nigerians who can speak like Yoruba a little bit because they listen to a David O song yeah. or a kid song or a, uh, even Tiwa Savage like um mm-hmm. and I guess that's just I guess that 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 helps but I think it's a good criticism like you know me I love Beyonce to death but I really also love criticizing her I think that's important and I think it's a good criticism for her and her team that like if you're going to set a movie in East Africa and then create an album based on that movie and then create another movie based on on that album and then not include like East African creators, then that's a, that's a shame. And maybe you need to do a bit more homework. Yeah, I think obviously if there was a lot more like sort of like research done, they would have found the people to put on it. Cause a lot of the songs aren't like Bernard Boy, for instance, speaking Yoruba on, on, on uh, the gift. Uh, yeah. Like a lot of this is in Yoruba. And so it was just a case where like, if they, if there was a bit more thought put into it, I'm sure they would find people from all over the country and like even I feel like even their selection of Nigerian artists was very like obvious like of course you're going to put these people on on these articles that's exactly what we're expecting. So in uh, earlier in our conversation Mariam and I spoke about how like Afrofuturism because it's about like imagining realities for black people um, in the future it also, the, the movies like Black Panther or Dirty Computer that um, have ties to Afrofuturism, they're also able to like start a conversation that includes more Black creators. So when people talk about Black mm-hmm. is King, at least to me, I'm like, even if you don't like the movie or you have criticisms from the movie, chances are um, the artists that work on Black is King are now going to go and take that clout and work on something else that might be more representative of like different parts of Africa. Like, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. Like. I remember when the trailer came out and everyone was like, um, there was you know, like there was just an uproar talking about, you know, um, we're tired of this narrative, like this is not what Africa is, like why do they keep like, you know, portraying us like like 
kings and like there was just that whole conversation and I wasn't that annoyed because I guess like that's why I didn't like it was 30 seconds like I didn't really like I wasn't going to make a decision about the thing based on like a 30 second clip and it was also just seeing like, like I said before seeing people I know saying oh yeah I was featured in this Beyonce film and like that's a big deal it's a great thing for them so it's like if she bothered to not even bothered, but if she had people from these like different African regions creating their own art, there was just no problem. I didn't see what the problem was with her focusing on Africa. Yeah, I mean, first of all, whoever created the thirty-second clip at Disney did her and the movie a big disservice because Miriam the yeah. way I don't know if you remember, but the way it was cut, it just kind of showed like a hut then it showed like a booming African boy right. saying something yeah. Yeah. and yeah, it birthed so many think pieces as well. And I remember thinking like, why are you all talking about a 30 second clip when she has promised us a full length movie in like a month, mm-hmm. maybe wait until that's done before we, we criticize. But something I brought up uh, when we talked about Black Panther is, you know, the apparent Wakandification of Africa. That's what it was called. Um, like, can you tell us how you you feel about that? Like, what, do you think Black is King contributed to it or it actually, like, um, did something different? Like, how do you feel about the term, even Wakandification of Africa? Oh, God. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think like obviously Black Panther was very like it was really like I I really enjoyed it but like I watched it again really like two three weeks ago and I just couldn't get through it like I just couldn't even like watch it (laughs) again because it was just like this is so cringe this is just like this is like I wish they like obviously it's fictional and all that but like I wish this wasn't the like thing that made everybody then now start to care about coming back home and you know the whole like because do you remember after wakanda we then had homecoming like there was oh, now this yeah. thing like return and like all of these things where people are like what well, for me people were coming people were coming from like for christmas and all these things they're like oh my god we're only booked in africa and it's like this is the regular thing over here like this isn't like there's no like like yeah they're like, both we have here. Like, boats. People, that's a regular thing for us. So I think, like, I did understand people getting upset, saying, like, this is not our reality. Why is this what they keep, like, wanting to show? But at the same time, I also don't think she was trying to represent Africa. Like, I think she was, like, I think Beyonce has said before that she sees music and she always, like, like, she, like, like and I feel, I feel like since Lemonade, she just, no, not since Lemonade, since her self-titled album, she, like, yeah. just always get a visual aspect of her music. And I took Black is King to be a visual aspect of her music and I wasn't expecting it to be like an accurate or like even trying to represent what Africa is. So I think like, I do see how Black is King could have contributed to that. But I like, if you think about it, like really, like if you actually like, you know, think about it, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> if you think like about not. it critically, it does not like, rep- yeah, there's like, nowhere in Africa just, yeah. that looks like Black like, is King. Like, yeah, I guess they're the, the beach. Like, there's like we have beaches, and so everywhere else in the world. Like, outside of that, like, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't take it to be a literal representation of Africa. I took it to be Beyonce's creation. She's making 
a visual aspect to her music and that can be whatever I want to be like we like I don't feel like we should be I didn't see why it needed to be representative of Africa like it just wasn't that kind of she described it as a love letter to Africa which I think that like is very different. It was not meant to be a documentary about Africa, right? Like those are two very different goals and like expressions of appreciation for Africa. Um, and so I, I think that that's to your point what she was what she was trying to do. And I think this also speaks to the really complicated uh, relationship that we have with Afrofuturism and, and African futurism and like how it ties to reality. And I loved what you had said previously, mm-hmm. Aisha, about how people look at Wakanda and like do people think that Africa doesn't have like fully developed cities and technology and like that only exists in these fantasy spaces like in Wakanda and in uh, Black is King. Um, And that is, I think, the complicated nuance of this genre of it is aspirational, but these things also do exist. Like there is, so, and, and I think depending on the audience, everyone's going to pick up on a different element of that, right? Like African American audiences in the US have a very different feeling and like feel a different type of relationship to Afrofuturism than probably someone living in Africa right now um, who knows what Africa is actually like day to day and all sorts of parts of Africa are very different on top of that. So, you know, I think that it is, uh, everyone's gonna have a very different relationship with this genre, which I think brings out so many interesting conversations and makes every product, work product better in the future and more nuanced in the future. Um, which I think is very cool mm-hmm. to see. Yeah, I'm definitely looking yeah. forward to... Oh, sorry, Damanola, you go ahead. Sorry, I think, like, if it wasn't tied to Black is... If it wasn't tied to The Lion King and the album, I would have maybe had a problem with it. But, like, just with all of that context, I'm not... Like, it's, it doesn't seem to me like something that needed to be... Um, like that meant to represent Africa, even though like, I feel like also another thing that we kind of in Africa kind of take, like I'm, I don't know how to say this because I'm just not sure whether it's like problematic or not, but like, I feel like we kind of have like, like I know where I'm from, like, right? I know I'm a Yoruba girl from Lagos and my ancestors came from this place, but this is what my history is. And African-Americans don't particularly have that. And I'm not really like upset with Beyonce for thinking like so a lot of things people were saying or like why is she using Yoruba goddesses and gods and like those kind of things like that's not her history but like she could like she could feel like that is her history like she could 100% feel like this is hers too and it's not like we really like care about those things here like I for instance haven't been taught anything like I know more about Greek and Roman mythology than I do about Yoruba mythology which is ridiculous <laughs> like, like Beyonce has like kind of taught me a little bit about my culture <laughs> like I'm then like oh this looks like a reference to Yemoja let me go and read about Yemoja and see what this means like I was never taught anything about like I was like ne- and even like even from this like I went through like after the spirit video came out. I became obsessed with Yoruba mythology just because I was like, oh my god, we also made reference to like Oshun and Yemoja and all these people. And so I went, like, I was researching because I studied classics at uni. So I'm very like interested in like just mythology and that kind of thing. And so I was reading about some my parents were kind of like, Wow, you're looking at all these juju things. I'm like, what like what do you mean? Juju is like kind of like voodoo, what? like witchcraft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I like our mythology is kind of demonized here, but for some reason you can't pay for me to study class like greek mythology 
but like this is art like why can i not literally read about this or whatever and so i think like that's also another thing like i don't see why we should be especially because it's not even revered here why we should be policing whether other people who genuinely feel like this is their hit like i'm 100 percent sure beyonce thinks she's a descendant of <laughs> of um Yamaja or oh, sure. um, yes. like she like she definitely probably believes that and I don't know why we're hold, like we're saying well no that's not yours you can't use that right no that's a really good answer I love that yeah, yeah. people can't see but Aisha and I are nodding vigorously yeah, we're nodding vigorously like, yeah, so <laughs> W-L-L's answer we're like yes yes I we we love it um okay well thank you for coming on the podcast Danilola you are our first guest like proper oh, interview guest I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm just very happy that I met you in the Lagos editing circles. Like, it was one of our last, like, few meals before everything shut down was meeting you uh, in Lagos. If you want to know more about Damilola and the work she does, you can uh, look up Native Mag, which is, like, an online magazine. Um, and you can also, like, follow them on Twitter. Um, any other place people can find you, Damilola? Um, you can catch me talking shit about Ben on Twitter at <laughs> Dam Dam. <laughs> okay, at Dam Dams, right? Dam Dam XX. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dami Lola, again. Um, we hope everyone enjoyed this. Yes, yeah. It's like we, I mean, we know that uh, this is such a hefty topic, and there's so many, we could probably talk for another hour and a half uh, about all of these mm-hmm. questions, but. We appreciate you just scratching the surface with us a little bit. Um, And thank you everyone for joining. We hope you enjoyed uh, this very special episode with uh, Demi Lola. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's kind of a funny story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Kind of Funny Pod. And you can also subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And please, you know, tell your friends, tell your family, listen to our podcast. Thank you.